Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and I just want to take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to jude3project.org and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew 3 Project. And we're so excited to have you for this special live event tonight. Listen, Lament, Legislate. I know you've been seeing uh, the T-shirt circulating and us sharing the messages online. So uh, before we start, make sure you share this uh, live stream tag a friend, um, start a watch party if you're watching on Facebook, tell us where you're watching from, share it with as many people as you can. Uh, we're excited for tonight's conversation. Uh, we have four amazing panelists with us. Uh, we have um, Latasha Morrison, um, Marvin McMichael, Jay Harvey, and Christina Edmondson. And I'm so excited for, for these amazing, amazing panelists that you now see on the screen. Um, we're going to let them give a brief introduction about themselves. Uh, we're going to start with uh, Dr. Christina Edmondson. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself. All right. Yes, ma'am. So my name is Christina Edmondson. Um, I've served for the last about 10 years or so in higher education, background in counseling and do a fair amount of work um, in anti-racism curriculum and assessment, um, as well as uh, just cultural competency um, work as well. Um, that's a little bit about me. Awesome, thank you. Uh, Dr. Jim Harvey, give our, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. I'm Jay Harvey. I'm the Executive Director and Assistant Professor of Pastoral Theology at RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary in New York City. And i um, been in pastoral ministry for uh, about 16 years now. I did a brief stint in the marketplace after college and did some work in criminal justice uh, consulting and also some criminal justice reform lobby. Mm -hmm. um, thank you for being with us. Latasha, give our audience a little bit of background about who you are. Hi, I'm Latasha Morrison, and I am the uh, founder and president of a um, nonprofit called Be the Bridge. And so, what we do is, um, you know, empower people toward uh, racial healing, racial equity, and uh, racial reconciliation. Awesome! Thank you for joining us. Um, one of my favorite scholars in the world, Dr. Marvin McMichael. Welcome, Dr. McMichael. Tell our audience a, a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you. I am most recently retired as president of Colgate Rochester Crozer Divinity School, uh, eight years there. The last time we spoke, that's where I was. Uh, I'm now back at the church from which I had retired. So I'm both the pastor emeritus and the interim pastor of the same church, Antioch Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. 
Thank you all for being um, with us on today. Uh, we're going to talk about um, listening and lamenting um, in this current moment. Um, for for those of you who who are watching, this is how the night will go. Listen and lament will be from seven to eight, and from eight to nine, uh, my brother uh, Pastor Watson Jones from Chicago will will host uh, the legislate panel that we're excited about. So just so you will know how tonight will will flow. Um, when we think about this current moment and all that's mm -hmm. going on with the fact that Breonna Taylor's killers are still out there, when we think about Amar Arbery, um, George Floyd, and a host of others that have lost their lives, um, a lot of people are in this current moment are trying to listen and, and have a hard time listening. Um, what do you think listening means mm -hmm. in this current moment? Any anybody want to start with that? Uh, Latasha, I'll let you I'll let you go first because you shake your head. Um, yeah, I think listening in this current moment, um, I think there's some barriers into listening, and listening really needs to me amplifying um, African American voices um, during this during this climate that we're in right now, um, and what's at stake and the shift that we're seeing. Um, you know, in, in culture, in the world, um, I think it's imperative that we lift up um, the marginalized voices. But, um, you know, one of the, I was just talking about this with a friend today on, you know, certain barriers and obstacles that, um, that, that prevent people from listening. And some of that is pride. And in this work, you have to start from a place of humility, um, and so there are some things um, that create barriers from from having people to really hear. And so sometimes people are listening, but there's an inability to hear uh, what people are saying because sometimes you know there's pride that's getting in the way and ideologies um, that are um, hindering um, people properly hearing. And so and and we can go on with that with um, you know their theology or their belief systems um, that's a hindrance so sometimes people if it goes against or makes them uncomfortable they completely shut it off so they they you know they're not actively listening and so um, and I think that's the important thing in this environment is you need to actively listen and you have to really start with the posture of humility that's helpful. Anybody want to add to that? Dr. McMichael, you look like you... you uh, I'd be happy to go next. Um, this is a good time to introduce uh, a Hebrew word that uh, points directly to this issue of hearing and listening, which was just stated earlier. Uh, the Hebrew word for hear, H-E-A-R, is Shema, which is uh, transliterated as S-H-E-M-A, and it is an invitation not just to hear with the ear, mm -hmm. but to hear with the heart. Yes. In other words, hearing must necessarily translate into some form of doing. Mm. And I think the lament that I have in the present moment is that African-Americans have been inviting the rest of the country to listen mm -hmm. to our words for 200 years. Um, you know, Frederick Douglass was inviting people to listen on the 4th of July in 1852, Martin King in 1963, and a number of persons who are speaking today. The problem is that people may be hearing with their ears, the audible sound 
but they're not letting it move in their heart. Mm -hmm. And that's what results in no action. So as this discussion unfolds, uh, I think the listen and the lament are linked together in that people hear us with their ear, but they're unmoved uh, in their hearts. And that's why this, this problem just persists. Mm -hmm. And no matter how many times we say it, it's as if it goes in one ear and out the other because it never gets to the heart. Mm -hmm. That is that is so helpful. Would you like to add anything, um, Jay? Um, I mean, it, it, there's so many barriers that we have as a white community to, to listening. I think uh, Latasha, um, you know, she mentioned ideologies. We have <clears throat> one, we have uh, this view of our country that it's as if uh, you, know, you either have a, a sort of an idealized view of the United States in, in our history, or you have a you know have a negative view. And really, it, it's more complicated than that. And, and um, I've been blessed to have African American friends. I for, for years I grew up um, majority black schools, and um, it's not as though the African Americans I know um, you know want to leave our country or criticizing our country is quite the opposite. They love our country. They want to be all that it claims to be, but there's this incredibly painful history, hundreds and hundreds of years, as Dr. McMichael mentioned, of um, promise not being fulfilled, not only promise not being fulfilled, but crimes not being addressed, restitution not being paid. Even when African-Americans have fought for the country, it's early on as uh, the Revolutionary War, Civil War, World War I, World War II, um, and continue with disenfranchisement. So if you have the wrong view of history, which is a theological problem in itself, if you have uh, such an elevated view of our nation, I mean, some churches in America, if you try to touch the American flag, you're going in a place that you might not know how dangerous that is as a pastor. And I think there's a theological problem. I mean, taking the flag out of the church, for example, is, is something that you shouldn't be in, in, a, in a corporate worship service, in, in my view. Um, I've experienced those kinds of emotions and when you have this view of the nation that it's unquestionable like that, that puts you in the wrong spot. And I think very personally, um, most white people just don't have that many negative or any negative experiences with the criminal justice system at all. I'm 47 years old and I've had no negative experiences with the criminal justice system. Now when I say negative, that doesn't mean that you got caught for doing something you should have gotten caught for. That's not a negative experience. That's what should have happened. Um, I mean, being stopped for no reason, not being stopped for no reason, being harassed, being scared about sending your children out. Uh, this is just not the, the white experience. And so there's a great deficit there. And then white individualism. Um, I think so many white people want to make sure that somebody knows they weren't responsible for this. And there's a lot that's behind that. Uh, but that certainly, that certainly um, doesn't help the listening at all. Did you, I saw Tasha, you were shaking your head. Did you want to add something to that? No, no. I was just saying that when he talked about the white individualist, uh, individualistic thinking, um, that's very key, you know, um, in a lot of what we're seeing and the inability for people to to hear and to listen. Um, it's their view and perspective of the world and how they see themselves in the world and in culture. And so I, I was just in agreement with that. Okay. Um, Christina, you want to add anything? All right. You know, so when I, in my mind, I'm making a differentiation. Can you hear me? Yes, we hear you. I was saying that in my mind, I'm making a, a differentiation 
listening. I think what we're what we're really striving for when we talk about listening is the evidence that the listening has taken root and that it, it's changing people. Um, from an educational psychology standpoint, we think about uh, learning um, as produ producing the fruit of change. So learning actually has a parallel to repentance, saying we want you to listen. I think what they're, what they're really getting at is that we want you to show the evidence that the listening is creating learning, which produces. I think we lost you for for some for some of it, Christina. Did you, were y'all able to hear? Oh, sure. No, my screen froze. Yeah. <laughs> Christina, could you mention again the evidence? Uh, that's where we lost you. We mentioned that. Yeah, I was just saying that um, in the educational psychology world, you know, people are saying, "I want you to listen to me." Really, what they're saying is, "I want you to learn." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah. that, that's Ev the, the evidence of learning. Mm -hmm. That's that Hebrew word Shema. Mm -hmm. that, uh, I know mm -hmm. that you are listening when I see a change. Right. Uh, when I see you acting on what you have just heard, as opposed to that kind of, yeah, I hear right. you, you know, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. so right. Exactly right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think Jay mm -hmm. gave some, some helpful reasons to why people have, tr have trouble listening. Um, do any of y'all want to add to, add to his list that he he gave? Well, I would add only uh, the title of a book because Jay uh, mm. is kind of speaking mm -hmm. from the white person's perspective, and there is a wonderful book you all may have read it called "White Fragility" by a woman named Robin D'Angelo, mm. and she is she's sort of a white person trying to talk to white mm -hmm. people about racism and about how difficult it is to get white people to engage in that discussion mm -hmm. and one of the reasons is that sense of individualism uh sort of i've gotten where i am without any help from anybody else why can't you do it mm -hmm. um and the other is in her book and i think this is also part of listening on racism there are just some white people who don't think mm -hmm. that black people have anything worth listening to Mm -hmm. um you know they don't they're not interested in anything we have to say mm -hmm. because they don't affirm us as uh, equals they don't see us as being able to teach them anything so it's hard for you to listen to me if you think that i'm an idiot mm -hmm. uh you know half human completely illiterate and uninformed why would you listen to me mm -hmm. that's that's extremely helpful anyone want to add to that So when we think about, you know, I was, oh, go ahead, Christine. I'm sorry. Oh no, I, I would just add to. I would just add to that. You know, there this idea of strategic mm -hmm. ignoring. You know, any when we don't the the weight of just how jacked up something is, or if it knocks on our personal door, um, and it holds us accountable in some way, then you can't ignoring where it can evidence in our faces um, and we will see everything but what is obvious um, and that that's more of a but it's also a part of just you know the deep-rooted re resistance that um, entitled sin brings mm -hmm. to us um, when we don't want to give some I don't want to deal with it we act like it doesn't exist mm 
What when we talk about um, lamenting, what what in general do you do you think about lament in general before we even get to this current moment? Because I think a lot of people don't even understand the term and, and what it consists of. Um, who would, anybody would like to go first? Uh, uh, Jay, I'll, I'll let you go. <laughs> One hesitates to go first when listening because I'm 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 learning a lot, but I was just I was just lamenting in a in a deeper way listening to some of our um, Pastor Meeks uh, preached today uh, um, on why Black Lives Matter and he he went through uh, the whole history uh, you know back to 1610 uh, forward of how Black lives have systematically uh, not mattered in our history um, and. At some point, you have to accept, and as, as a white person, that our nation was built on, on crime, and that's just that's just the reality. Which means the corporate blessings that we enjoy as a country were built on a crime. People acknowledge that slavery was a crime. Most people will, uh, the vast majority of people, but it's never been definitively uh, addressed as such, and. If, if you aren't moved uh, deeply, uh, depending on your personality, to, to a place of tears, but if you aren't moved deeply by understanding th this um, kind of slavery, but then what really moves, what's really moved me, you know, things move in different seasons because we've been doing this for too long. Um, what I mean by that is it, it, we keep coming back to it, and it makes me as a white person who's 47 years old now want to see something happen more definitive. But um, what's really moved me in this particular season, for whatever reason, um, is, is um, just thinking um, every time um, you know, from post Reconstruction forward, you know, black people make a strong move forward, and initially, you know, in Reconstruction, then turn of the century, then again after World War II, being left out of the GI Bill for, for black men, they've been pushed down, pushed down, pushed down, and um, it's um, if, if you don't lament deeply, you haven't really understood. That'd be my, my message to, to my, my white friend. Um, and there's more learning, more, more hard learning to be done. Yeah, I, I like that idea of being brought to tears uh, because even in the Bible, in the book of Lamentations, uh, which is an extension of the book of Jeremiah, which is really all about grieving uh, the death of the nation and the regret that it all could have been avoided. So I, I think so much of what has happened in this country's history could have been avoided if we had taken seriously from the outset the fundamental premise upon which the country was founded, which is that all persons should be of equal worth and value. But when you start out from the assumption that uh, Native Americans do not count at all, African-Americans count only in terms of their economic and political bargaining power. And even white women were disenfranchised uh, until 1920. Um, white men are the minority in the country, but they certainly exercise the majority of the influence. Um, think about what could have happened if we started out from the beginning, brand new country, clean slate, and said all of the distinctions of race and class and gender are gonna be washed away 
and we're going to be this uh, beloved community on a hill. Been a very different history, but I lament because, as Jay said, we've been telling this story now since 1619, and they're still shooting black people down in the street. And uh, that's what breaks my heart. Uh, Latasha? Yeah, I was just going to add, you know, um, and I think understanding like lament is really like the, the, the heart of lament is that of sorrow and regret. And, you know, when you look in Lamentations 1, um, 2, and it, it, like, it highlights, um, chapters 1 and 2, it highlights the, um, the suffering of, of God's divided kingdom and, and exile. And so, you know, there's a, there's a deep sorrow and regret. And we haven't um, done that as a country, you know, um, a country that says that it is a founded on Amer on excuse me on Christian principles and values. But if anybody should know how to lament, um, it should be um, you know the body of Christ. And you know, and if anyone should know would know how to would would know how to have great deep sorrow and 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 um, and regret. Um, we haven't done that. What we've done instead of having regret, um, we've um, changed our history. We've um, you know erased history. We've um, we've elevated you know um, very violent history um, you know over the stories of the marginalized. And so not only you know um, was our country you know founded on you know on lies, um, but it also you know and um, I, I forget. Um, what the other gentleman said, but it also was founded on violence. And um, that should bring about great um, sorrow um, for those that say they represent the kingdom of God to see what has been done to, um, you know, indigenous communities and culture and language and to see what has been done to um, the African diaspora, um, to language and to culture and to family and to people and to lives, um, you know, but we don't want to face that. And so a, a lament, you know, when we allow, when we lament, that is an act of worship. And, and so we, we haven't stepped into that. And I think that's the place that um, we really need to step into if we want to move towards um, any justice is we have to own um, this truth of our history and lament that truth of our history. Oh, we lost our sister again. Sorry, my mic was was muted. I didn't realize. Uh, <laughs> no, we lost Christine again. I think she's having trouble with the the Wi-Fi. Um, I, she's gonna try to get get back on uh, as soon as she has stronger internet. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's that was so helpful when we think of lament because mm -hmm. so many people even struggle with like mm -hmm. the term. I remember I remember getting visceral responses just us posting. Listen, lament, legislate, mm -hmm. and people were like. Um, why do we need to have this or why why do we need legislation or why do we need to listen and lament in this moment and they so many other things come come up like people say well what about um black on black crime or or ignorant statements like that um to to gaslight or to throw people off um of the topic at hand uh, what what do you think is one of the biggest barriers uh for understanding lamenting in this space um 
do you think it's, I, I think Dr. McMickle uh, alluded to it earlier, not seeing um, African-Americans as human, still seeing us as three-fifths of a person, um, not understanding the necessity for for even the conversation. Um, I, I remember the quote from Dr. Martin Luther King, um, uh, the law can't keep a man from loving me, but it could keep one from lynching me. And that's really important. Um, yeah, what do you think are the barriers in, in this in this space when it comes to lament? One of the, one, uh, someone mentioned the problem of pride. Yeah. Uh, it is difficult to lament if you are overly proud mm -hmm. of yourself and of your nation. And if you cannot see any of its flaws because you're so captivated with uh, you know the, the, the assumptions of white supremacy and the claims of manifest destiny. Um, you know, if you if you can listen to the current president of the United States and 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 hear him give the talks he gave on July 3rd and July 4th and understand that he still enjoys in his own political party almost 85% support and that a large part of that support is from white evangelical Christians, they're going to be, they're going to have a hard time lamenting um, Ahmaud Arbery. They're going to have a hard time lamenting George Floyd. They're going to have a hard time lamenting uh, Breonna Taylor and all the rest because they just see those as footnotes uh, in the largest story. Um, you know, they didn't hear the Native Americans say that to have that event at Mount Rushmore uh, in the presence of land that was granted to the uh, Ogala Sioux tribe and then taken away because they found gold there four years later. Uh, and then to not even reference them in that speech. I mean, there was nothing said about the people who used to live there by the president or anybody else who was there. They, they had their own story. It does not include African-Americans, Native Americans, uh, persons of Hispanic descent. Uh, it's a very narrow story. And the, and the pride, the arrogance yeah. uh, with which that story is preserved is a great obstacle. Mm -hmm. yeah. Dr. Emerson, I'm going to let you get in um, on this. We're talking about just barriers uh, to, to lamenting during this time. What do you think? Um, is the tension there? I mean, I think um, lament um, there there requires some degree of hope, actually, yeah. um, some degree of faith in order for lament to even happen. People don't think of it that way, but it does, um, because you're 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 bringing the sorrow, the brokenness the fed upness, the, uh, the desperation, even towards a God that you might be angry with, but you know a God who has all love and all power. And, um, and I think um, the idea of, of going to God, um, lamenting, um, and also at the same time, and how long, and fix this, and why such suffering and I think that when we think on a kind of a, on a human level, 
what it takes to have a relationship that is healthy enough to deeply love someone and to still say to them, because you deeply love them, I am so disappointed, I'm so afraid. This same dynamic is the case that we have with, with you know, the, the God of the cosmos, the sense of, I desperately need you, and yet injustice, the scepter of injustice seems to be reigning in this land. Lord, why is this so? Um, and I think on from a human to human level, it's difficult for us to have conversations like that. And so certainly th that's a difficult conversation to have. When we, uh, when the Lord grows faith and, um, and trust in us, and in us, then they're able to go before God with the reality of just how jacked up the present moment is, but still with the expectation that God is loving. And mm -hmm. Did you want to say something, Latasha? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, um, with lament, you know, there's a there's an intimacy intimacy with God that you have to have because there's a deep connection um, that is this forms between the person lamenting and the harm that was done. And so when you're not even acknowledging the harm that was done, it's like lament has to start from this place of truth. So there's also this inability um, for people to lament because there is this um, spiritual darkness that um, that really clouds a lot of um, our brothers and sisters in, in Christ. And so I think because you know, this, this first step, as, as Christina was saying, um, you know, as we lament, and as you see, as Ezra lamented, as um, Nehemiah lamented, as David lamented, um, the next steps after lament, you see that of healing and hope. And so um, in order to get there, to get to healing, you have to start with truth. And so if people are not starting with the truth of um, what happened, you know, at Mount Rushmore or the truth of the broken treaties or the truth of um, the generational trauma and, and um, just um, the, the raping of um, genocide as it relates to African-Americans and um, also with our indigenous community, if, if they can't face that truth, it's hard for them to lament something, um, you know, that's requiring something of them, this intimacy and relationship with God. And, and as you see, like, you know, um, half of the Psalms are on lament. And so when we even ask that question on why should we lament, um, you know, if, if we are to be like Christ and if, you know, or we are to be like um, the forefathers before us, you know, when we look at David and Abraham and look at the, the examples that were set and, and lament, um, you know, um, that gives us a, a pathway. Uh, I mean, a direct connection, you know, a blueprint on what um, the benefits of lament is, but it has to start from a place of truth. And right now uh, we are in a place of deception and um, truth must um, come forth in order for people to, to lament. And I think that's going to require a deeper intimacy with God. And then also some um, deconstructing of um, some of the ideologies that we've ingested um, thinking that it's Christian and it's not. That's extremely helpful. I love how you uh, noted the spiritual blindness um, that we wrestle not just against flesh and blood, right. but against principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. And I believe that plays a yes. tremendous role uh, when we talk about the spiritual blindness that exists. Um, anybody want to comment on how that that spiritual blindness really does 
um, create a stumbling block in in this in this space. Um, Jay, you want to want to comment on that? We, we we've mentioned it before, but the idea that you're, you're a self-made person that um, you know the white privilege means that um, you know everything came easy. That's means it means there's a whole host of things that you don't have to worry about, a whole lot of burdens that you don't carry because of the color of your skin. You may do all have carry other other types of burdens, but they're not the same ones. Um, for example, Brian Gumble was talking about um, recently the uh, sportscaster that um, loved listening to him when I was when I was younger. Just hearing his voice made me feel 20 years younger. But I never heard never heard him speak about his experience as a black man. He talked about the black tax. Um, so there's a pride that comes with with thinking that you're a self-made person. Everything you've got, you've earned, um, and that there was no corporate aspect to that, no, no kind of corporate dimension. And recognizing that in, in the African American community, the descendants of slaves in our country, people of color, there's a whole different dynamic there, and and that has to be overcome. I think it really has a spiritual, that's a spiritual issue. Um, I think also, and I'd love for um, everybody on the panel to comment on this. Biblically, if if we're going to have real healing, there has to be first of all truth, then the right response to truth. But we don't just believe in we don't believe in penance; we believe in repentance. Right. There has to be a restitution. Mm-hmm. Uh, justice in the Bible is is not only punitive; it's restorative. Right. And we have to we have to address that. Anthony Bradley is a scholar who's written a book on mass incarceration, overcriminalization, and um, he introduced me to. Uh, this concept of transitional justice. Um, I'm not a scholar in this area. I, I don't work in this area. I've read a little bit about it. I think we need something like a, a Truth and Reconciliation Commission that does an intensive, serious work. I've had a lot of, I mean, you know, I don't have a lot of black friends, but I grew up in a majority black context. There are things I'm still learning about our history, and I've learned a lot about our history. We need a more um, official, uh, sanctioned, corporate, national effort to do this. And then we need uh, an official effort toward a reparation. Um, that's just biblical. I don't know anybody who says that reparations, restitution is a biblical. People say, you know, it can't be done. And I think I think it can be done. I think there's a lot of discussion on how that, that could be done. Personally, I would love to see um, that be as personal as possible. Uh, and we may have the resources to do more of that than we think. People tracing where they came from, where they were descended from, and so on. I think this could be done. I think this needs to be done. Otherwise... We will continue. I don't want my children to go into another generation of uh, dealing with this unresolved uh, wound. And uh, we, we need to deal with it through um, an, an official national process. Uh, we recognize and, and repair to the best of our ability the debt that, it's been, that, we, that we owe. And it's not going to deal with all the problems of racism, but that just we just have to do that. Um, so I'd love, I'd love for others to comment on that because to me, I'm feeling that my, bro- my black brothers and sisters are, are exhausted of um, the conversation without any uh, clear uh, action. I've got a granddaughter, have two granddaughters, uh, eight and six. The, uh, the eight-year-old who is in second grade came home from school before... COVID-19 brought the school year to an end uh, and asked her father, my son, uh, why people were pointing and laughing at her because she was brown. Now, 
this this is an eight-year-old child in 2020 who was coming home with the question of why other eight-year-olds are able to distinguish her not by her name, not by her academic rank, not by her artistic or athletic skill, but by the exterior of her skin. I don't think that eight-year-old child picked that distinction up uh, alone. I, I think these are questions and conversations that white families have at home uh, as they're watching the news, as they're listening to Black Lives Matter commentaries, uh, as they hear Donald Trump say that Black Lives Matter is a hate group. Uh, today, he's referring to protesters as Marxists and anarchists. Uh, we are passing this down still from generation to generation. And for every person who is aspiring to do better, like Jay, I'm afraid there are others who are not aspiring to change at all, but are instead doubling down on their uh, assumptions about supremacy and superiority and, and uh, this is my country and that kind of thing. It, it is still front page news for people who are trying to raise their children in this country and send them out in the morning and hope they come back at night, both unhurt physically and unharmed psychologically. Yeah. I think also, you know, um, you know, with, you know, this Truth and Justice um, Commission, um, every, um, you know, um, you know, developed country has it. So when, you know, a lot of ones with the history similar to America, like New Zealand, um, Australia, um, Canada, um, South Africa, uh, Rwanda, um, just to, to name just a few that have where they there's legislation that's moving forward to have this conversation. Um, even if they don't have all the answers, they're putting together the the people um, to begin um, discussing, you know, um, the truth of their history and and, and what is old. And so. Um, and how do we rectify that? And there's so many people, so many educators, practitioners, and scholars that have been doing this work and studying where um, if you got, I mean, probably even us on this phone, um, you know, on this conversation, I can list like two major things right now that could shift and reconstruct our country um, as, a, as it relates to something uh, of repair and restoration, um, you know, but I think we have to to want to do that. And right now, you know, when we look at the rhetoric that's happening, not rhetoric, because rhetoric, there's when when there is um, speech that's taking place where there is power to um, to pursue that, um, that's not rhetoric, you know? Um, that's not just talk um, because people have the power to create policy to, um, to uh, come against what we're trying to do. And that has always been the case throughout history. So if we look at um, what the, you know, slaveholders, their argument, um, their biblical argument, their political argument, um, there is nothing new under the sun. The same things that's being said now were the same things that we're saying there. And so what I would say is, you know, to the people who are arguing, um, you know, saying that um, Black Lives is a hate group, um, name one thing that they've done um, that represented hate, you know, um, you know, and 
and and most people will will um you know they're repeating what they heard but they have to understand what about me uh, what is in me that is actually aligning with the ideology of a slaveholder? What about me is aligning with the ideology of a segregationist? Because those are the same arguments that those that were for segregation, um, Christians and non-Christians, um, those same type of um, arguments of um, Marxism and um, you know li liberal, um, um, you know um, social uh, cultural so socialism, all these different things but yet and still we are we don't speak out against russia which is a communist country um uh, we we don't we we say less things negative things about russia we say less negative things about um about north korea when we look at the the oppressive governments that they have but um those that are marching um for for equality and for equity and for justice into um so that not just one group is flourishing black lives matter is not just about one group flourishing um this is about all can flourish so that we can live true to liberty and justice for all and so if we want to you know wrap this in partisanship then uh, we have a body of work that goes before us and what that really is talking about when we talk about um the descendants of, of, of slaveholders and we talk about segregationists so i think we you know we need to really think about those people that are saying those i really think they need to really look at themselves and say what about me and my ideology why is it aligning um with this type of ideology of a segregationist and those that were slaveholders and i think that's what the question that they need to answer and begin to dig up because this issue of racism should be bipartisan um, when we talk about the flourishing of all people, liberty for all people, um, treating, giving people their due, um, you know, when we talk about repair, restoration, um, this is something that we as Christians should understand. And, um, the, you know, I've been out there marching um, just like everyone else, and I am not a Marxist. You know, and so um, I think, you know, lies are just dangerous. Um, and we've seen that um, throughout our history. And so really people have to pick up books and they'll see that the same, um, you know, it's a different year, but the same playbooks, you know? And I think what, what, what people are gonna miss is just like their ancestors, they are on the wrong side of history. And history has its eyes on you. It, as Hamilton says, history has its eyes on you. So, yeah. I wonder if I could introduce, that's such a wonderful statement. I appreciate this discussion so much. If I could introduce another uh, dimension to my mm -hmm. lament, mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's rooted in Galatians 3.28. Uh, in Christ, there is neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile. And I think sometimes uh, there are African-American men who are deeply committed to the issue of the elimination of racism, but they are not equally passionate about the elimination of sexism. Uh, and so while they're willing to fight in one form of oppression and repression, mm -hmm. they seem unmoved uh, by the voices of uh, feminist or womanist scholars and female pastors and women aspiring for leadership, both in the church and beyond. I don't think that you can, I don't think you can fight 
uh, one kind of oppression uh, and be mute about the other forms in which you yourself are actively engaged. And part of my frustration is that we've sliced Galatians 3.28 up into tiny little packages where it's become a multiple choice. I'll, I'll take the part about race. I might take the part about class, but I won't take the part about gender bias and discrimination. Uh, and I think you're muted in your righteousness if your sense of justice, or as one of my a doctoral student said, she just graduated from Colgate this past semester, uh, if you want freedom for, if you want the end of racism, but not the end of sexism, then you don't want justice, you just want privilege. And I think that's a problem. That is a that is a helpful a helpful point um, that I think is important for this conversation. As we continue to think about everything, uh, everything that you all added was was amazing and, and helpful. I think to our listeners, as we think about this conversation, because there's so much to be discouraged about in our current moment. Um, is there anything uh, that gives you hope in this present moment? Um, as we're, as we're, is it anything like this moment? I've heard people say this moment is different. Um, and then I've heard others, uh, like one of my mentors who, who was saying like, we did this in the sixties. They didn't listen to us in the sixties. And so it didn't, for her, this current moment is not like any different than any other moments. Um, how have, have you found hope in any of the current conversations? Well, I must say, as a as a theologian and a pastor and a Christian, my hope is not anchored in what people say and do. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not I'm not building my hope on that. But I do want to read for uh, for our panel and for your listeners a part of Lamentations. Uh, what better thing to read than Lamentations three? verses uh, 21 to 24. Uh, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. God is going to have the last word on these matters. Uh, God breaks in in some disruptive ways and brings things to our attention, disrupts the status quo. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping and praying that God is going to continue to stir up what's happening in the streets, what's happening in our political process. Uh, but in the end, I think it's still going to be uh, the voice of the faithful reminding people that our hope is built on nothing less than that which we have committed to Christ. I marched, I've protested, I've gone to jail, I've petitioned, I've I've done all of those things, but only because uh, I'm not just appealing to the conscience of America, but I'm I'm acting out of the hope that comes from knowing uh, that God will prevail and that weeping may endure for a season, but joy will come in the morning. Yeah. That's that's encouraging. 
Latasha, you look like you want to say something. Oh, I was going to say, you know, um, you know, one thing we have to understand that lament is not light. It's not a light and easy transformation of suffering. Um, lament is work, um, you know, having this deep agreement with God. Um, but as we said, lament leads to hope. And as he read, and that was in my notes as um, Lamentations 3, where lament is a reminder of the faithfulness of God. And I think um, for me, my hope is not in people. I am hopeful um, with some of the things that I'm seeing, but ultimately I was hopeful in January before all of this happened because my hope doesn't reside in people. And what I'm what I'm doing, I'm not looking at the, the majority of people because the majority of people in any any movement that we've seen throughout history, the majority of people were not in agreement. Um, you think about the very people that should have understood and recognized who Jesus was, the religious leaders did not. And they rejected and they denied um, Jesus. But there was there was a remnant, you know. And so when we look at um, what's happening now, I see that there are some people who um, scales are being removed from their eyes. Some of the blinders are falling out. Some of the seeds that were planted or maybe some of the books that they read and some scriptures are now um, speaking out to people. Um, that is happening. So I'm hopeful in that. But ultimately, um, my hope, I can't, my hope can't reside in people because people will disappoint you. But my hope is in the faithfulness of God and that God sees, that God hears, that God restores, that God comforts and that God redeems and God can change and he can transform. And so that's where my hope um, um, lies. That's awesome. Uh, Jay, you want to um, share? Sure, well, I would, I would echo that. I think um, I have hope because Jesus has, has promised that his church will come. And his, his church is uh, one in Christ across all lines. And so that gives me hope uh, in the Lord. I'm, I'm hopeful in God's sovereignty. Um, and I'm hopeful because of the incredible patience and love. And, and um, at times I know my brothers are exhausted. My sisters are exhausted. But the patience and love of, of, of the black Christian community that I'm affiliated with and that I see um, is phenomenal. The vision of, of a unified body of Christ um, is, is moving to me um, because it's coming from the side of the offended party. And so I'm hopeful because of, of what I see the spirit of God there. I think that um, we, we do have an opportunity if we wish to see our nation uh, have a different future where there is more genuine um, lasting unity. Uh, we do have an opportunity in history before us uh, to do something more definitive to address uh, slavery and, and its aftermath. If you're concerned about Marxism, do the best thing you could do would be to support a commission to tell the full truth and to do whatever you can to make a full restitution, because that's exactly what Marxist theory said the bourgeois would never do. There may be, there can't be too many better examples of Marxists of the, than the antebellum South of religion being taken, twisted, and used for economic profit. If you're concerned about Marxism, repent and show the Lord, show the world that Christianity offers a better story. And I think there's another lament there. It's not just the serious lament for brothers and sisters at the horizontal level. We should be lamenting that God is diminished. The glory of God is diminished whenever professing believers 
can I come together and address this? And the, the, the witness of the church is diminished uh, by the legacy of slavery. So we need to address it uh, biblically for God's glory, as well as the healing of our brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And in that direction, I'm very hopeful because God blesses repentance and faith. Yes, that's very helpful. And I, I, I echo all of all of your sentiments. And I also would add that when we're dealing with people who um, try to silence us and in truth telling, one of the most helpful things I found is to to ignore many times because uh, I, I'm reminded of, of Nehemiah on the wall when they were trying to get him off the wall. And he is just like, I can't come down because I'm doing a great work. And oftentimes people will try to rattle you and you'll get so frustrated trying to engage the people that are calling you Marxist or all of these names that you won't be able to do the work. And so um, I'm always encouraged by that passage to continue to do with the work and not be so overly engaged with those who are criticizing the work that I'm doing. Uh, there is something that I would love to insert about hope. Um, something that, that really does keep me hopeful. Uh, I had a series of mentors, older men and women who um, went before me and, and, and lived out a life of activism and, uh, and social transformation. One of them was a man named Samuel DeWitt Proctor. And um, I was with him at Abyssinian Baptist Church on the staff there from 1972 to 1976. And what he challenged those of us who were younger ministers at that time to do, and I'll use his exact words, so be mindful of the pronouns that he used, they're not mine. He said, I need you fellas to be 40-year men, 40-year men. By which he meant, I don't need you to be active or outspoken or committed for a day or a week or a month or a year or a decade. I need you to commit your life to this issue of the gospel and of uh, the transformation of the social order, which those of us who were with him then have tried so hard to do ourselves. What encourages me is that I already see the next generation stepping forward. Um, As the older I get, the more encouraged I am when I look at the people who are marching and demonstrating and in the front lines, these are people in their 20s and their 30s who've already caught fire for the cause of justice and righteousness. And it's just for me so encouraging to be 72 and looking back on the, the bulk of my life, but seeing my son and my son's peers and even folks younger than that carrying right on now, I wish they didn't have to carry right on, but they are, and uh, that God is continuing to raise up people who've got this sense, this fire about trying to make every valley exalted, every mountain and hill made low, and every crooked place straight. Praise the Lord that he keeps raising people up uh, who've got that vision. I'm just so excited to see them uh, stepping forward and leading the way. 
Awesome. That is encouraging. This has been a fantastic conversation. I thank you all for being with us. We are out of time, uh, but make sure you, as you close out of this uh, link, that you go to the eight o'clock um, panel discussion led by my brother, Pastor Watson Jones with uh, Dr. Otis Moss, Reverend James Meeks, Dr. Barbara Williams Skinner, and Michael Ware on Legislate. I promise it'll be an amazing time. Thank you all to our panelists. Uh, Christina uh, logged off. Uh, well, her internet logged her off, I, I should say. Uh, but thank you all for joining us. It's been an amazing time. I appreciate it. And I know our audience has enjoyed it as well. I, I greatly appreciate it. Well, here at the Jude 3 Project, as I always say, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it. And um, I won't say till next time because we got another panel after this. Have an amazing day if you can't stay for the next panel. God bless. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.